is your DEI focused on correcting the wrongs that got us to the place where diversity has dwindled, where equity has been elusive, and where inclusion is just kind of an illusion? And how are you ensuring that your company's diversity, equity, and inclusion work is focused on real people and the real barriers that are in the way of their thriving? We have to stop thinking about DEI as a tactic or an activity or some strategy that looks great on an Instagram post or a website banner because we're really talking about creating new conditions, a new way of treating one another, a new way of doing work. to A Recipe for Transformation with Krista Wilson, a podcast that helps build unique recipes to translate dignity and caring into equitable, inclusive, and anti-racist behaviors in the workplace, helping you transform them into ones that create an environment that fosters dignity, humanity, and respect for all your employees. Because leading transformations that stick require more than just knowing the words. It's about understanding why we are doing what we do and putting people first. I was doing a microaggression training for a nonprofit housing corporation that was focused on racial justice and equity a couple of years ago. And when I came into the orbit of this organization, they had already been deeply committed to racial equity, diversity, and inclusion. The cool thing about this organization is that they have been building affordable housing in the kinds of communities that have been experiencing disinvestment, poverty, over-policing, police and community violence, um, underemployment, and then high COVID rates recently, and then just so many more challenges according to the residents that I have personally spoken with. And... The other part that I think is cool about this client is that they also hire from within the community. And so in this particular training that I did, let's call him Lee. Lee was a guy who not only worked for the Affordable Housing Corporation, he also was a resident in the affordable housing community. Now, as he participated, what I thought was really great in terms of his leadership, his insight, and his wisdom is that he kept it real. In the midst of C-suite executives or in that training, uh, managers who maybe had influence over him and his role, but he still spoke truth to power in this training. And so this is what he said. He said, you know, Krista, I mean no disrespect. This is a great training at all. I'm learning about, you know, how racism and bias shows up in our organization and how we're committed to creating equity and all that. But people are being shot up in our neighborhood. We can't afford to live here. There's some bad stuff going on. So how is this training and our this DEI work we're doing? How are we addressing that? Because that's real life. And when he said that, some of the folks in the training kind of had a stunned face. There were quite a lot of nods and some smiles. But Lee's point was the right point. DEI is about real life. And so when I talk about DEI and getting real, I'm talking about we have to move beyond the one-off trainings, the luncheons, 
the theme newsletters, and all these other superficial actions that are well-intended, but they're not necessarily making a difference in the lives of the real people being harmed by the systems of oppression and discrimination that real people are facing. And that was Lee's point. What is this going to do for real life? And so we have to humanize our diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And by that, I mean we have to put people back in the center of all these DEI investments. We have to stop thinking about DEI as a tactic or an activity or some strategy that looks great on an Instagram post or a website banner because we're really talking about creating new conditions, a new way of treating one another, a new way of doing work. DEI has got to acknowledge that there are real conditions, harmful conditions, harmful practices, policies, and norms that real people are experiencing solely because of their identities and who they are. And this is why we can no longer create these reactive DEI interventions like a training or a coffee talk solely on their own. We have to be responsive and strategic and go deep down to the roots. In my consulting firm's racial justice and equity framework, and this is the framework that guides everything from my keynote talks, my coaching, my training, and my consultation for my firm, there's a step in the framework that's called tell the truth. And this truth is something I almost never hear when it comes to organizations, government agencies, foundations, and sometimes even other DEI consultants. Here's the truth. When we're doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work, we are doing it in the context of a lot of harm that has to be reconciled and repaired. We have to reconcile then that in the United States, we had white-identified colonists come from largely England. They came to build a new country on the backs of indigenous people from whom they stole land from and killed or went to war with for the land. And these same colonists used the labor of Black people that they kidnapped from Africa and trafficked from one continent to these colonies. And it was this energy, this foundation of extraction, exploitation, and violence that everything else in this country was built upon for 400 years. And so when we talk about these social justice movements for rights, so the suffragette women's rights movement, the civil rights movement, the immigration rights movement, the gay rights movement, all of these are movements of people who are saying, we want the ability to first have our human rights protected and we want the ability to thrive. But we have to contextualize those movements for thriving in this history that says that there's this hierarchy of who's valued and who is not. And so we talk about racism and that hierarchy or a caste in this country, in the United States, it's whiteness is at the top of that hierarchy by which all other skin tones and races are judged to be valued or not. When it comes to gender, we have men 
cisgender men at the top of that hierarchy to which all other genders are compared and judged their value compared to those at the top, which were men for a patriarchal system. When we talk about abilities, physical ability and disabilities, if you're able to produce, you are considered valuable at the top of this hierarchy. And if you are not able to produce, if you are disabled, you are considered not as valuable. And so we see how that plays out in so many ways in which some of our identities receive advantages in our society and some of our identities experience prejudice, bias, discrimination, or are otherwise marginalized or made to be devalued, okay? And so when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have to have these very real, maybe uncomfortable conversations about systems of supremacy, these hierarchies, because that tells us diversify from what to what, who's being included or excluded. Getting to the heart of this will tell us What do we have to do to intentionally and meaningfully pursue diversity, equity, and inclusion? And specifically, it will help us begin to do almost like a root cause analysis to answer the question, what has prevented diversity, equity, and inclusion and thriving for the past 400 years? I'll tell you that answering this question requires that we look in some places that you might not want to. I have clients in states all across the country and they're not even allowed to have these conversations and answer that question in certain spaces because of bans, literal bans that have been put in place by either conservative leadership in their organization or actual conservative elected officials who've been on a mission to ban critical thinking on racial justice and equity conversations and strategies to create environments where people can thrive. But this is our real life. This is the the context for which our DEI work is happening. And this is why we have to level up our DEI game. And this is why it has to include more than one-off trainings and isolated activities. You know, I come from a background of public policy, and many people may know that I work with government agencies across the country. And so when I tell you this, I'm, I'm telling you this next thing, not from a conspiracy theory. I'm telling you it because I work with actual elected officials and policymakers, that there are systems in place that are actively working against your efforts to pursue diversity, equity, and inclusion and sometimes in very subversive ways that are really hard to pinpoint. And when I say systems, I mean banks. I mean the criminal justice system or the carceral system. I'm talking about the legal system, education system, even the public policy system. I was working with a a connection or a collaborative rather with a foundation, over two dozen nonprofit organizations, and the state of California itself trying to look at how do we promote equity for workers, particularly workers of color and women and queer workers who are often exploited in California. And what they identified is, if you are a a woman, 
if you are a worker of color or an immigrant, you are likely to experience wage theft or worker exploitation, okay? So there are some demographics that could be targeted to have some very clear strategies to promote equity. But in California, we have something called Prop 209. And in that law, we cannot have public dollars go to a strategy that specifically has a demographic identity in that strategy. So then how do you address racial disparity and not name the racial group who will benefit? Right? There are ways to do it, but it's challenging. So this is an example of what I mean when I say that there are systems in place that will make it challenging for us to do this racial equity work. But that's why we have to level up our DEI game. We have to get creative and we can't just do stuff that's on the surface. You know, I'm giving this example of the real life and workers in California, but so much of this, even if it's within your organization and it's a subset of workers at your company, it's all real life and real people. And that's why when I'm doing this work, when I'm doing coaching or training or advisement, I'm telling clients that for some of us who are doing this DEI work, it's an intellectual or a moral pursuit, meaning that we do this work because it's important to us. It's the quote unquote, it's the right thing to do. We want to help people. We want to right wrongs. And for some of that, all of that is true. And it's also personal. For some of us, it's life or death. I know for me, I say that I know that my family descends from the original enslaved Africans that were kidnapped from West Africa in the 1730s and held in bondage in the same area in North Carolina where I was born and where my 93-year-old grandmother still lives to this day. The same area in North Carolina where my grandmother, my great-grandparents, all my aunts and my uncles and my parents were raised and the racial segregation of the Jim Crow South, where I grew up too, under Confederate flags. So when I talk about wanting to create a world and a future where the race that you are born into does not dictate how you are treated and your opportunities, this is personal to me. It's 300 years of a movement to create a future where people who are racialized meaning they've been ascribed a race, can thrive. This is personal to me, as much as it is my profession. Do you feel like you're getting some amazing pearls of wisdom on this episode? At Wilson & Associates, our mission is to help folks like you promote dignity and care at work, to transform workplaces into ones that are equitable, inclusive, and anti-racist. We believe that it's more than knowing the catchphrases. This transformation requires understanding why we are doing what we do, doing it with integrity, and centering our humanity and joy along the way. This podcast is just one of the many ways we feed our mission. At Wilson & Associates, we help our partners create fun, supportive, and innovative spaces where our collective humanity is nurtured, our imagination is sparked, 
and we co-create recipes for advancing racial justice and equity. We know there's a well of information on DEI out there and it can be a little overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. The simplicity lies in creating your own recipe for transformation. We aim to put humanity and dignity back into DEI and our workplaces so that we can create environments where each of us can thrive. So head over to our website at wilson-and-associates.com to find out more about how we can help you and your organization. You can take our self-assessment that can help you explore the different dimensions of DEI in your own organization and determine the best starting point to find your own recipe for transformation at DEIdiagnostic.com. You can find all our links in the show notes. And let's transform the face of DEI into the face of dignity together. Now, I also have clients in Texas. And these clients that I am thinking of, one in particular, they have a child who is lovely, so creative, so smart, uh, can build anything, anything. Uh, And this child is a gender expansive child. And so to this client, DEI is personal to them because as they choose to love their child and meet the needs of their child and provide gender affirming care to their child, my client runs the risk of being turned into the state for what that government calls harmful parenting or abuse of a minor. And so when my clients engage in gender conversations at work or medical coverage for their children, this DEI work is personal. It's not just an intellectual activity. When we see at COVID, when COVID came on the scene two plus years ago, and we saw women who were kind of forced out of the workplace because they were put in the unfair position of having to choose between childcare and their career because of unfair gender norms that say that women are the primary caregivers. And so their male identified partners were able to stay in their careers and women were led to have to leave because of inflexible work schedules. For women that had to make that very hard choice, their desire to see real diversity, equity, inclusion when it came to the ability to have career advancement and be a parent, to have flexible time off or flexible work schedules, and pay equity was real life. It wasn't just an intellectual exploration of how can we create more equity. It was a real thing for their very real lives. In my training, in my consultation with clients who are looking to make their DEI real, I always say that we have to center people and we have to do a real analysis of where there is power in our identities. Which of our identities give us an advantage? And which of our identities experience marginalization, discrimination, and bias? And so in my consulting and coaching practice, I created a tool that I call the Wheel of Identity, Advantages, and Marginalization. 
And every time I share this tool with clients, I got to tell you, I can see puffs of smoke come out of people's ears. And this is just a guess. It's because their minds have been blown, okay? I mean, this tool builds upon the great work and scholarship of Sylvia Duckworth and Pamela Hayes. And what this wheel does is it shows our different and intersectional identities like gender, race, religion, language, disability, neurodiversity, body size, and so many other identities. And then it splits it in two sections where those identities experience advantages in U.S. culture and in our organizations, and where our identities might be marginalized or experience bias and discrimination. And the tool is so simple and so powerful because what it is able to do is show us that we can hold identities that are both marginalized and have also been given advantages by our dominant culture. What the tool also does is it helps us think about if we're doing DEI and we're saying we're committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, for those identities that are in that, what I call the marginalization zone, that zone where people experience bias, discrimination, and prejudice, how is our DEI effort supporting those folks? How are we ensuring that those folks have the ability to thrive? And questions like, why do they need a DEI intervention? And what specifically is that DEI that we're trying to do? How is it or what is it going to interrupt? What is it going to disrupt and what is it going to stop? So that real thriving can be happening in our organization. These are the fundamental, exciting, really beautiful questions that can help us move beyond the surface DEI activities and instead be doing some transformational DEI work. I'll tell you that the identity wheel and the facilitated activities that my firm does with clients helps us create tactical plans that can create thriving at work, changing culture, changing policy, and also helping figure out what are some actionable goals things that we can actually do. Now, I can think about right now, as I said that, you know, I had a client and she said, as she thought about diversity, equity, and inclusion, she said, Krista, diversity is one of our biggest goals. And so I asked a simple question. I said, well, what kind of diversity? And specifically, you're wanting to diversify from what to what? From what to what? And she said she had never heard a question posed quite like that before. This is what the identity wheel is able to do. It's able to help us think about diversity in an expansive way. It can help us audit our organization by seeing what diversity already exists. And it can also help us think about with the identities that we do have in place, Where do they lie in terms of being advantaged or marginalized? And where are we trying to build in terms of our demographic diversity? And why does that matter? Going back to our DEIY from episode one. I'll tell you, like, I get so impassioned about this stuff because, 
DEI, to me, it's so rooted. It's not just to me. It comes from a, a long history of social justice. It's not about compliance. It's not about HR strategy or, you know, EEOC legal protections, although it has morphed into that. DEI is not only a value, but it's a strategy to undo harm, to right wrongs and to make repair, to really look back at the history that got us to where we are today and to say, we don't want to keep going forward the way that got us here. So if you want your DEI efforts to put people first and to really get real, here are two things I recommend that you do. The first, map your intersectional identities. And I mean you. Yes, you, the person listening right now. Map your intersectional identities. If you can't name and hold that you can have identities that are both advantaged and marginalized and own the identities that are advantaged, you're not ready to do what I call DEI for real. So for example, when I look at my intersectional identities, first and foremost, I'm a Black person. So that is a marginalized identity because in this country, the hierarchy that is in our dominant culture says that whiteness is the supreme value by which all other people are measured. My teacher, Resma talks about it as white bodies are the supreme value, right? I'm also a cisgender woman. So in a culture where men are valued over women, that's a patriarchal system, being a woman is an identity that is marginalized. It's, a, it's an identity that is valued less than men. However, this is also an identity that has some advantages because this culture values cisgender women over trans women or non-binary folk or gender expressive people. It's an identity that has both marginalization attached to it and advantages. And another identity, just for an example, is I was born in the United States. So being a documented citizen comes with great advantages in this country and worldwide. Having a U.S. passport allows me to move across borders that other passports don't afford people. But also in this country, having U.S. citizenship allows me working privileges. It also means that there are areas that I can go that I don't have to be afraid of immigration raids, for example. So here's what I want you to do after you've mapped your intersectional identities. I want you to review that. How do you feel about your identities that you have that are advantaged? Were you aware of the advantages that you have that come with those identities? And for the identities that you have that might be marginalized, meaning the ones that experience bias or discrimination in terms of society or within an organization, how do you feel about those? How has that shown up in your everyday life or your work life? Just check in with your identities. Being aware of this helps you figure out how you can place yourself in the DEI efforts, either as an ally and or to name what you and other groups you represent need for equity and inclusion and belonging and justice. 
The second thing I want to offer in terms of a what you can do is as you're leading DEI, I want you to think about how can you ensure that your company's diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies are really for marginalized and resilient folks. So that means when you're doing a training about DEI, are you being bold in the way that you're talking about isms? Or are you protecting the feelings of the people who have advantaged identities? When you're doing your diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies, are they specifically addressing the barriers to thriving that are being experienced by folks who experience marginalization? Or as I call it, the folks who are in the marginalization zone in the identity wheel, right? If your DEI doesn't have specific strategies for those folks, you're not doing your DEI right. We have to be crystal clear that diversity, equity, and inclusion has to be about making sure that the people who have barriers to their thriving get those barriers removed. And this does not mean that we're going to have an oppression Olympics where everyone has to show who has it the worst, who experiences exclusion or bias the most. That's not what this is about. But we need to be having conversations on the isms that create prejudice, discrimination, and barriers to thriving that require DEI in the first place. We have to be talking about that. If we're not, then DEI is just a fuzzy three letters that are decontextualized from the real world. So here's what I want you to do as we wrap this segment up today. Is your DEI focused on correcting the wrongs that got us to the place where diversity has dwindled, where equity has been elusive? and where inclusion is just kind of an illusion? And how are you ensuring that your company's diversity, equity, and inclusion work is focused on real people and the real barriers that are in the way of their thriving? That's the homework. That's the heart work. That's how we do this DEI for real, for real people, and lead real transformation. Creating unique recipes for how people can experience dignity and also thrive at work is a mission that involves and requires all of us. If you felt moved to take action through this episode, I hope you'll subscribe and share this podcast with the people you know will benefit from it. You see, the more dignity and respect we can build into the workplace, the more we can create the kinds of environments that foster and celebrate our humanity. You can stay connected to and join us in this mission by visiting www.recipefortransformation.com. It's here you're going to find podcast episodes, resources to support your racial justice and equity work, and learn how you can hire my consulting firm to help leaders just like you build workplaces where people are treated with dignity, experience a sense of belonging, and have an opportunity to thrive. Every podcast episode and resource on the site will give you one more ingredient you can use to create your very own customized 
recipe for transformation for you, for those you work with, and your entire organization. This recipe is gonna help you create lasting change, more so than the old ways of DEI. We're counting on you to co-create the future that we need right now. Moving beyond the words, moving into purpose, and putting people first.